Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. Real quick, uh, recap from yesterday. So the Family Fall Fest was yesterday. So if you had an opportunity to be able to come, be able to fellowship with the families here at Life Church, great opportunity. Because remember the vision we've always said is like, we want to create opportunities for kids and we want to create opportunities for youth. But at the end of the day, here's what we know. It takes the family to raise a generation of people that are going to change the world. So we got to continue to figure out how we can support that, be a part of it, and be where God is moving inside of that. So praying for that, you know, and all the relationships that are built, great things that are happening and will continue to happen with our kids, our youth, and the families here at Life Church. All right, so we're at the end of our spiritual warfare series, and we're going to be moving on to uh, our Christmas series here after a while, but we want to wrap it up with a couple different things. So the idea of the spiritual warfare series started with this, is that every single person in this room has a mission, right? That mission came from God. It wasn't from the church, came from God. And for all of us, we need to live on mission because it's what you're going to be held accountable for. Right? Pretty simple, right? Every one of us in a room held accountable for the mission which God gives us. And at the end of the day, then, here's what we know, that if Satan is going to try to attack you, right? If spiritual warfare is going to happen, then it's going to happen to knock you off mission, right? Because that's the only thing that he can affect while it's on this earth that can't be done in heaven someday, right? Because when we go to heaven, we can do a lot of different things, but the one thing that we can't do is reach people for Jesus, right? So he wants to knock us off mission, get us out of the way. So we've talked multiple different weeks about this is the the mission, this is what he's trying to to do to knock us off the mission, this is how we need to be, you know, uh, understanding of what's happening. So I hope, again, that not only did you hear the message, but I hope you'll figure out how to apply it in your life. So last week we went to Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Ephesians 6, because we're going to be back there today. Ephesians 6, 10 through 24, and it's all about the armor of God. So it's the idea that if you are in mission or on mission and Satan's trying to attack you, you know what's cool? God gives you a gift, right? And the gift is the armor of God, right? And the armor of God is given to you, not only that so you can defend your territory, right? That's part of it. The armor is given so you can stand firm. But the armor is also given so that you can take back ground that Satan's taken in your life. Now, for everybody in this room, you have a different story. Some of you today are just trying to hold on, right? Some people today are like, you know what? The armor's on and the enemy's coming and I'm just trying to figure out how to not go backwards, right? Some of you are, have the armor on and I'm advancing the gospel. Like that's where I'm at today is that we're advancing the kingdom and we're taking things back in our marriage and in our high schools and in our kids and in our families that Satan took away and we're taking it back. Like some people are there. Some people are, you know, I got to put the armor back on because I've had it off for a while and haven't been engaged in the battle and I've drifted away from the mission in which God's called me to, to, to do. So I need to put the armor back on and I need to be able to get back in the battle. But either way, the armor is to give us the ability to stand firm or to take back ground. Knowing that, this is what we have to know. If you take the armor off, this is what you're going to see. If you take the armor off or you're not engaged, there is no neutral. If you're not standing firm or advancing, right, which is offensive or just standing in that place trying to keep the ground or taking background, you will naturally lose ground in your life. 
right? So if you're a Christian person who has chose to not engage in the battle, right, then you are at a place, right, that, that, that you've missed what God wants you to do, and you've probably gone backwards in your life. Because I think it's really a lot of people's story, isn't it? Right, I came to church for a while, and I was really on fire, and I had the armor on, and I'm trying to take back ground, or, you know, I'm trying to fight against Satan, and I know the enemy, and I'm going to go against him, and then all of a sudden, life happens, and you take your armor off, and you start to slide away, the relationship goes away, and pretty soon you find yourself far away from God until he interrupts your life. Because here's the, the reality. Some of you have taken the armor off because you don't think you need it, but at some point in your life, when it becomes personal, you'll be reminded why you should have had it on. Right? Because it's easy from the outside to see, oh, well, I don't need the armor. Nothing's really happening to me. You know, nothing's really going on with me. And I don't need any protection you know, from those things. But at the end of the day, God will at some point remind you that you need to put the armor on, and that's your story. Something happened in my life. I decided to get back in the game. Right? Like that's the story of now, what I want to be able to do is I hope we can walk away from this because I hear, here's what I know we'll never be able to do. You're never going to be able to make it so that 100% of the Christians in their spiritual walk is always up and to the right, right? Like, I, I wish that we could walk away and say, now that you know all these things, it's going to be up and to the right. But what we're trying to do is shrink this time of ineffectiveness. Does that make sense? So we're trying to figure out where when these things in life happen, you know, and it takes us out of the game for a while, how do we shrink it up and how do we stay effective and in the game most of the time, right? And I hope by looking at this, you'll be able to understand how to be able to do it. So we're going to do a recap, right? And inside of this recap, I'm going to help you, again, put the picture back together, what we're trying to do, what's the armor look like, and then we're going to try to put this connection together, right? The connection between being equipped and being ready, but not being in the game, right? Because the worst thing that could happen, you know, for each one of us is this idea that we're ready and we have the armor, but you're not fighting the battle, right? And you're not ready to go or you're not where you need to be. So let's go to Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Let's just recap it real quick. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Ephesians 6. There you go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So again, put the armor on. Why? So you can take a stand. Put the armor on. Why? So you can take ground back. Right. That's why you are engaging in the battle. You need to be able to put the armor on. So don't take a stand. Don't go backwards. Then he goes on and says... For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Know your enemy. The problem in spiritual warfare is you think your enemy is your husband. You think your enemy is your wife. You think your enemy is your friend. You think your enemy is your kids. You think your enemy is like, just take a, whatever that is. You think your enemy is flesh and blood. And when he can get you to fight with flesh and blood, when he can get you to fight outside of the spiritual realm, you lose ground when it comes to a relationship with God. Because when you're fighting, your relationship isn't right and Satan knows it. So if he can get you to fight amongst each other, you're going to be off mission, you're going to be isolated, and Satan's going to be able to do things that he could never do when you're not at conflict. So know your enemy. The enemy is the devil. The enemy and the war is supposed to be fought in the spiritual realm. So be reminded 
who your enemy is. Then he goes on and says, therefore, because you know that there is a war, and because you know that there is a gift of an armor, and you know that the people aren't your enemy, what should you do? Well, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Reminder, the belt of truth, the first part of the armor. Everybody back then wore a dress, a skirt, a tunic, whatever you want to call it. When it was time to go to war, you had to pull your dress up, you had to put your belt on, and you had to get ready to go, right? So the emphasis that he's trying to tell us is, is that if you are, this is the truth part of it, so it's the belt of truth. Here's the truth. If you call yourself a believer, then you better be ready for war. And if your skirt's down, you're not ready. Right? Like you're not ready. Like if you're, if you're not prepared, if you haven't pulled your skirt up every single day and said, I'm going out into a world where the enemy is present, where the enemy is trying to attack, as children of God, that's how you approach the world, right? There's an enemy and we need to be prepared. That's the belt of truth. So we need to have that. The next one is with the uh, breastplate of righteousness in place. So you had to put your armor or the breastplate, protect your vitals. What does the breastplate represent? One is righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. You're made in right standing because of what Jesus did for you and nobody can take it away. You should say amen. <laughs> right? Like because of Jesus Christ and his blood, all of the accusers that have told you you're not good enough, you can say you're right, but only through Jesus, right? We, sh we should celebrate our righteousness or our right standing in Jesus because of what he did for us. Then the other part of righteousness to protect us is holy living, right? The idea that we should live and, and, and try to, to live the way God wants us to live. Now, what we talked about, it's really important to get this. If you're reading the Bible to try to follow all the rules, so that God will be happy with you and you're calling that holy living, that's not holy living. In fact, that's going to get you in trouble for multiple different reasons because you can't follow all the rules and you're going to be continually disappointed. And when you're somebody that says, like, I'm going to read all the rules and follow all the rules and you're telling everybody else they ought to do the same thing, they don't have any problem telling you when you forgot to follow the rules. Right? When you live that way or you read the Bible that way. The way that you're supposed to read Scripture is to get to know God, your Creator, through Jesus. So it's, you read Scripture to build relationship, and this is what we know. Everybody knows this. The greater your relationship is with your spouse, the greater your relationship is with your kids, the greater your relationship is with the people around you, the more that they will want to do what you want them to do. Why? Because they love you. Not because they have to follow the rules. True? Rule following only lasts until they're sick of you. Right? Rule following only lasts until they're sick of the rule giver or till they're outside of the authority of the rule giver. Right? Something that lasts forever is the authority of love. Communication, relationship. It transcends into every part of our life and every part of our relationship. So we need the breastplate from a relationship standpoint. It also says in verse 15, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You need to be ready to share the gospel of peace. All of us should be prepared to be able to go out and share with people. And remember, sharing with people always isn't your words. Always isn't. I don't think that made any sense. 
<laughs> know that when you go out, you don't always have to profess with your mouth. Is that better, English teachers? Did I get it about time? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You don't always have to profess it with your mouth, right? Your actions are preaching the gospel to people, right? The things that you do in life are the readiness to help other people is preaching the gospel to other people, right? But know that we need to be prepared to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people, whether that be through serving them, loving them, praying with them, whatever those things are. That's what we need to do. Then he also says that in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So he gives us two pictures in this, knowing that if you live in this world today, people are going to lob arrows at you, right? Like the accuser is going to continue to lob arrows at you, right? And he's going to continue to try to, to take you down by accusing you of being not a child of God, accusing you of never being able to live up, accusing you of whatever those things are. So he tells you, right? You know what you need to do? Put up the shield, right? And when you put up that shield, when that flaming arrow comes, it extinguishes the flame because it's the shield of faith. It doesn't burn up the shield. It doesn't destroy the shield. It extinguishes it because again, Here's what we figured out. We knew where to go for our refuge, which will extinguish the flame. Does that make sense? The world's going to continue to lob arrows with you. The problem is, is where you go seek refuge. Because I, I want you to hear this because everybody would preach on this idea. is like, here's the problem with people. They seek refuge in drugs and alcohol and they seek refuge in, you know, they, like it's usually some sort of an addiction type thing. You know what I say sometimes is a problem? Not just that, maybe not even that as much as you seek refuge in the wrong person. You know what I mean? Like when the arrows come, you go seek refuge to the person that's sitting there fanning the flame that wants to see you burn up. Anybody? Someone you trust and they're sitting there like, oh, that arrow's on fire. Let's get a little air, right? Whatever those things are. So the, the idea is the shield for you is to go to the person who will protect you. The thing that will shield you, right? All of those other things, including people that you trust sometimes, are not your refuge. They're just not. Don't use them. Don't go there. Use your refuge being the shield of faith. And here's what I want you to see. Because I think this becomes the other problem. So many times, Christian people become selfish and it's our downfall, Right? So you're sitting there with the shield and everybody's throwing arrows at me and I got to protect myself while somebody who couldn't hold their own shield is over there getting pelted. And you're like, but I'm busy over here with all the arrows that are coming at me. Recognize that your shield wasn't given to just you. Your shield was given to go to the person who couldn't hold it up. Right? And if you spend your entire life of Christianity shielding yourself, you've missed the boat. Your shield was given to you when that person's down and they can't hold it up. You need to get over there and you need to protect them. You know why? One, it's because it's God's calling in your life. You know why else? Because at some point, you're going to be that person. I know you don't want to believe it. You know, strong enough, we'll never need it. I'll never be able to, I'll always be able to hold up my shield no matter what the attacks. Not true. 
There will be a time where you're going to be there and, and you're going to see Jesus through a shield bearer that's going to come and stand over you. The people in the world are going to see Jesus, the gospel of peace. They're going to see Jesus when you stand over somebody you think deserves the arrows, but you're going to stand over them anyway. Right? Like that's what our shield needs to be used for, not just for ourselves. Then he comes on and says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, obviously understanding that he tries to get into our thoughts. And so when he, we have the helmet of salvation on, it clears up our thoughts, the things that who we are and, and that we are gods and that we are saved through him. And the sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? Which is we need to be proficient with our Bible, right? Like you need to know what the Bible says and you need to understand how to use scripture, right? Not as a manipulative tool to get your way, which is the way sometimes people use scripture. Let me tell you about a verse. Like I want something, so let me tell you about a verse that gets me what I want. Right? But we need to know the heart of scripture and we need to know the relationship with Christ through the scripture so that we can use it as a weapon to defend and a weapon to advance, right? Does that make sense? Now, here's the problem. This is what I think the problem is. So you got a bunch of people that are coming to church and they're listening to the preacher and the preacher's like, put the armor on and get your skirt hiked up and get your knife out or get your sword ready. And they're like, we're in, we're in, we're in. And if you could get this picture, you have a bunch of people sitting inside of the church trying to maneuver around with a bunch of armor on them, right? Because they said to put your armor on. Now, here, here's the problem. And then all of a sudden, somebody's like, hey, Jeff, the war's over there. <laughs> like, you're in the wrong place. I know you thought the war was here. I know you thought the battle was here. I know you thought coming to church was where you needed to be, and I'm not saying it's not, but we got a church full of people that got their armor on when the battle's somewhere else. Like, we got to be a people you get your armor on, and you got to get to the battle. Now, why, right? Like, why do we get stuck? And here's the connection that I think Paul's going to try to make. The reason that people put their armor on, because it's not a bad thing, right? He tells us, put your armor on and get prepared and be ready. So it's not that I'm saying that it's wrong. The problem is, is the church is full of people with armor with no connection to God. Who tells you where the battle is right? Like the person who tells you this is where the battle is, this is where you need to be, this is where you need to be engaged, there's a disconnect, right, in that. Prayer is what he talks about is the thing that it connects the warrior of God to the war, right? Like that's how the connection happens. Now, the way that it makes the most sense to me or the way that I rationalize it in my mind, so it's football season, so if you watch any football game on TV, you see the guys on the sidelines with their headsets on? Like everybody's got a headset on, right? Well, the reason they have a headset on is there's somebody up in the booth, right, that sees a perspective that they can't see from the field. Does that make sense? Like somebody's up in the booth, somebody's looking at the, the, the field, and they're saying like, this is what's going on, and then the person on the field who has the field view is executing 
whatever they tell them to do because they have a vision or a view that the person on the field can't get. So when I was working my way up through coaching at Huntington, so I started as a middle school coach and became a freshman coach. One of the jobs of the freshman coach was to go up and be in the booth and then you would see things and then you would radio it down through the headset to the person who's on the field, right? So here's the idea. This is the way it's supposed to work. So you put a game plan together. So if you've been a part of football and you've ever watched football, everybody has the greatest game plan until the game starts. You know what I mean? And then they make their adjustments and then the guy in the booth is supposed to be like, hey, they're making these adjustments. This is the adjustment you need to make. You know what the biggest problem with coaches is today? They have so much pride when the guy in the booth saying, hey, this is what they're doing. And the guy's like, no, they're not. We're sticking to the plan. We're sticking to, this is what I, I don't see that. And I'm like, no kidding, idiot. That's why we're up here. I know you don't see it. I'm trying to tell you this is what's going on. And we'd have coaches like you would say, this is what's happening. This is what we need to do. This is how the defense or this is how the offensive adjusted. And the coach would not change because the only view that they could see is through this lens. And they wouldn't look at the person who could see it all. Now, how's that like your faith? You got somebody seeing the whole picture that wants to get in your headset and you're like, I don't see it. I have no idea. I, I mean, either I'm not hearing you or when you do hear from me, you're like, I don't see that. I don't, I don't. No kidding. When are you going to give in to the guy that sees it all? When are you going to give in to the guy that sees the bigger picture than you? Because you're always, just so you understand this, you're always going to have a field view. Your thoughts and your ways will never be as his thoughts and his ways. And the reason he wants to radio down to you is because your thoughts and your ways will never be his. You need a perspective that you can't get from the field. You know how you get that perspective? Prayer. And part of the problem, I think, again, could be completely wrong. I think when it comes to Christianity, prayer is confusing for people sometimes. Prayer is non-existent for people for sometimes. Or prayer is only used when you need something. Right? Instead of this idea that like, we got a God that sees everything that's going on and He knows where the battle is and He's given you the stuff to go into the battle and we already know that He has the victory and He's just saying go over here and you can be a part of the victory and we're not listening. That's what a disconnected prayer life looks like. So here's what we should do, and here's how he ends. Like, so he ends with, you know what you should do now that you have all the armor? You should pray. All right, so we're going to break it down, and we're going to look at what does he say when it comes to prayer, and how can we listen to the things that he says. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all of God's people. So, let's start with this. When it comes to prayer, I'm going to just speak from experience, so this might not be your experience. So I'm going to speak about my own experience, and then you can take it from there. The one thing that you need to know about prayer is there's a variety of ways to pray, right? Now, here's the way I was taught. So when I was a kid, you prayed two times, right? And two people prayed. Right? Now, I never saw them pray any other time in their life. They could have, but I've only saw them pray two times. 
One was at the dinner table. Everybody's starving, and everybody had to wait for dad because dad had to say the prayer, right? And the crazy thing was, he had to say the same prayer every single time. And I wasn't a person reading the Bible, so I thought this just came out of the Bible, right? That God is great, God is good, and this, thank you for our food, amen. Like, I thought that was the prayer. Anybody else grow up with that prayer? Yeah, so you had that prayer, and you waited for dad, and dad had that prayer, right? So I'm like, oh, if I'm thinking about prayer, you do it when there's food, right? And you should do it, and you should say the same thing, because there must be something about saying the same thing. Then... There was a second prayer which happened at night, which was mom. And mom came into your room, and here's what she would say every single time. Have you been a good boy? And I'm like, no, no. Why? Why? Well, because you need to ask for forgiveness for all your sins. And I'm like, I can't remember them all. Right? Like, I have no idea. I I didn't keep track of the list. I didn't write them down anywhere. What happens if I forget them? And then she would go into the prayer. Oh, well, now I lay me down to sleep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Right? That whole thing. And I'm like, I'm I'm a goner. There's like no way I ever remembered all of the sins that I did in a day. Like, there's just no possible way. I was that kid growing up. Right? So here's what I want you to say. Nothing wrong with mom praying with their children at night or dad's praying at supper. But I don't want you to get caught in this routine that prayer is specific to time and to person and that you have to have a certain posture, right? Did you ever notice this? If you say to to most people, like it's time to pray, what do they do? Especially if, this is the funny, if you go like, hey, we need somebody to pray. Does anybody want to pray? And everybody goes... You know, like, don't make eye contact with the guy that asked, or you're in trouble, right? And you have to end up praying, right? So they automatically bow their head. I'm like, why? Like, you have to bow your head? Can you keep your eyes open? Like, you allowed to keep your eyes open during a prayer, right? Like, I always thought, like, that was irreverent. Like, you got, if you're looking around, and I'm like, I just like to look around now to see who else is looking around, right? <laughs> So if everybody closed their eyes and everybody bowed their head, you just look around to see if anybody else is looking, you know? But here's what I want you to see. God does say at times throughout Scripture that there's different postures of prayer. Some people are on their knees. Some people are prostrate on the ground. Some people are standing up and raising their hands. But here's what I want you to know. If you do this right, like if this communication piece is right, No one's going to have to tell you to follow the rules to be on your knees. When you need to be on your knees, you'll be on your knees. Nobody tells you how to, well, you got to lay prostrate. Nope. When it's time to lay prostrate, there ain't no choices. You're prostrate on the ground with no other position to be in. When it's time to raise your hands, when you're in those places, like when you let prayer be what it's supposed to be, your posture, what you do, how you hold your head, what your eyes are doing, what your hands are doing, all that stuff just happens, right? It doesn't have to be done in a certain way. And just so we understand, and this will lead into like the frequency of prayer, Like, how often should we be doing it? Well, here's what you know, okay? Everybody knows this. If you want to know whether or not your relationship is good, the first indication that it's not good is your communication, right? And when I say communication, I'm not talking about, like, because you know what happens in a marriage sometimes? Like, the longer you're married and the older you get, like, you come into a room and dad at his place and mom at his place and they don't really talk except about, like, 
did you pick this person up or did we forget Johnny at the daycare or, you know, what do we eat? And then all of a sudden everybody focuses on this and nobody focuses on each other. No people have ever had that. That just happens, you know, in a relationship. Communication starts to go away because when we're talking about communication, it's the communication to say, how are you? That's what I want to know. I want to know, how am I loving you? Am I doing a good job? What do, what do we need to talk? Like, that's communicate. When that's good, relationship tends to follow. When that goes away, relationships tends to go like this. And then pretty soon you look at each other and like, how do we ever get this far away? Because you stop talking about things that matter. How did I get this far away from my kids? Because you stop talking about things that matter. How did I get so far away from that person that I used to be so close to? Because you stop talking about things that matter. Does that make sense? Right? Communication. So it's the same concept with God, right? The concept is that we need to be in constant communication, right? So you need to be communicating all the time with God so that your relationship continues to build. Not that, again, not that it's wrong, that you get up and you do your devotions and you gave 30 minutes to God today. You didn't talk to him for the rest of the 24 hours, but you gave him 30 minutes in the day and you're like, I had my prayer time. I'm like, dude, that's, that's a good start. But just, just so you miss, don't miss this. If you just check it off your box and you're not in communication, building your relationship with God, you're missing the point. You've got to be able to figure out, like when you see something, like here's what's... Um, interesting or cool, maybe that's a better word. When you're in love with somebody or you're close to somebody, as soon as you see something, right, that's awesome to you, who's the first person you want to tell? The person you love, right? Or the person that you're in deep relationship with, right? Like, I got to tell you what happened today. This is what I saw and it's so incredible. Are you doing the same things with God? God, I got to tell you about a conversation that I had today. I got to tell you about the view that I saw today. I got to tell you about the person that I met today. I got to tell you about, like, I want to tell you because I love you more than anybody else. Or is it just like, oh, I got to pray. You know, what did it tell me to pray? I got to pray, check it off the list, and you don't want to talk to him anymore. Right? frequency of prayer is going to keep you connected, right? To the place of, like, when it's time to go to war, when you're talking to God like that, then he's going to say, hey, I got a job. Get over here. Get on the front line. Pick up the sword. Walk across the room. Call this person. Talk to this person. Be in the game. Being engaged. When you're having that conversation, he can also come to you and say, I need you today. But you only give him 30 minutes. 20 minutes, or for some of us, zero minutes in a day. That's not the way that it works. Now, the next thing that he talks about, this whole idea of the power of prayer. Like, where does the power come from? So as we're gauging with him, is there power inside of prayer? Because again, he tells us that we should pray in the Spirit. So what's it mean to pray in the Spirit? Right? Really important to think through this idea. of. So when he's talking about Praying in the Spirit, why is it important for a Christian person to understand what praying in the Spirit is? Well, here's what he says. If you go back in Ephesians 5, he gives us the indication of what praying in the Spirit looks like, right? And helps us understand what we should be doing. So Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. 
He says, for you were once darkness, for, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So it tells you, because of that, you need to live as children of the light. For the fruit uh, of the light consists in, in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Okay, so because you are a child of God, because you're children of light, this is what it says. And find out what pleases the Lord. See how that's starting? If you are a child of God, you're in conversation with God. Not only is it you're sharing communication, he's sharing communication back with you like, this pleases me. Does that make sense? Right, so it's not just you talking to him, it's him coming back saying, like, and you find out what pleases the Lord. It's like getting to know somebody. Does that make, right? Like, if you want to get to know somebody, you can get started with, I got to get to know you so I can love you better, right? Like, that's part of the process. I got to know you better to love you better. So he says, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So it says then, therefore, this whole idea, how to live in the light or how to live in the spirit. He says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music uh, from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So praying in the Spirit, right, is this idea that this power that comes from your will aligning with the will of God. Does that make sense? Maybe not. Yeah, so the idea, like you have a will. I'm praying for, I'm praying for, I'm praying for, I'm praying for. When you're connected to God and then his will, your will given over to him, your will and his will, when it's in line, becomes powerful. See, we lock power in prayer when it's just all about our will and the things that we want and they don't line up with the will of God. It's back to this idea that God's up there and he sees the whole picture. Do you know what your biggest prayer should be? Can I see the whole picture? Because I know what I want, right? Like I know what I want. I know the thing that I want or need, but can you show me how it fits inside of the bigger picture so that your will and my will can line up because then there can be power in that perspective, right? Like he wants us to be able to do that, which leads to the next piece. And I think if we, you have to understand that piece to move on to understand this. How should we pray then? The manner of prayer, right? So if we're going to be engaging and we're communicating and we're trying to get it figured out, how should the manner of prayer be or the things that we should do? So Jesus goes back. Jesus tells his disciples, his disciples just flat out said, I want to know how to pray. So Jesus goes, I'll teach you how to pray. This is in Luke 11. Luke 11, 1 through 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, 
Forgive us of our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So for them, I mean, that's a start, but that's kind of abstract, right? So it's like, just say these things and it's okay, or just repeat these things and it's okay. So Jesus goes then to a story. He says, if you want to know how to pray, I'll give you a story. Here's the story of how you should pray. Now, when I read this story to you, I want to just tell you from the front. I have had an ongoing conflict relationship with this idea of how to pray, right? Like I, when, when I read Scripture and, and, I, and I read it for what it says and it says, pray this way, I'm just telling you that inside of me there's been this constant tension of I know what you're saying, like I know what you're saying, but I don't really know if it's true, right? And I'm going to talk to you about that in just a second. So here's what he says in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Now he's teaching them how to pray. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you as fathers, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit, those who ask him? I'm just going to be honest with you. There are times where I ask seek, knocked with audacity, and I think I got a snake. Anybody else? I mean, just be honest. Like, you, you know what? You did everything that you felt like you were asked to do, and at different times in your life, you prayed with audacity, and you prayed with faith, and you pounded, and you pounded, and you pounded, and you say, what good father gives a snake? Well, I don't know. I feel like I just got one. Right? And the conflict is this. So when you're at that place, this is a real emotion. That's why I'm sharing it with you because I don't know if anybody wants to admit this that at times you feel like God's giving away snakes even though he said he won't. Right? But it's an emotion that's going to come up. And the reason that emotion comes up is because Satan knows that if he can disconnect you away from this power of prayer, if he can get you to stop praying, if he can get you to always have the field view, right, then you're going to lose the power that comes from asking, seeking, and knocking, and you're going to miss the miracles that God wants to do in your life because you stopped and you gave up. Because here's what I, I had to come to grips with. You know what the reality is? You know what he told me? Like you ask and you seek and you knock and you know why you're mad? Because it's about you. I know you're praying for somebody else. I know you're praying for, but you wanted a different outcome and you didn't get your way. 
right? Like you wanted a different outcome. It didn't go turn out the way that you wanted. This is like different situations in your life. Didn't turn out the way you wanted. And what he's saying is the exact same thing that I'm trying to say from the booth. You don't see what I see. Like you can keep complaining that this is happening on the field, but you got to see what I see. God's saying the same thing. I know you don't like the situation, but you don't see what I see. You will never get it and understand it until you have the view that I have. Right? Like you're not going to get it until you're having the view that he has, that he can see, and it's not going to make any sense, and it's not going to fit into our little box, and we're going to sit there, and from a field view, we're going to have the same view. It doesn't make sense in this world, but the bigger question is, are you going to keep asking, seeking, and knocking with audacity and believing that God is still a God of miracles? That God is still a God who can change the world. That God is still a God that can transform hearts and lives and heal and do all of those things. Because the thing that we need to remember is the next part of this prayer. What's the object of the prayer, right? So who is it or how should we be praying? Because here's the thing that we need to recognize, right? A lot of times in our lives, we pray for the physical, which isn't wrong. Like we should continue to pray for the physical. But if but if you miss the point of only praying for the physical and not the spiritual, then you're never fighting the real battle because the battle was never in the physical realm and the only thing you're praying about is physical things, right? You're not praying about what's going on up here in the spiritual realm or the places that you need to be inside of the spiritual realm. And so when you are praying for yourself, Asking, seeking, knocking, it's to fix the things in the spiritual realm that he can fix and it might manifest into the physical. Like you might see the difference inside of the physical realm, but remember where it started? So we need to pray where it started, right? And here's the other piece, right? Here's the other thing that we need to think about. Who are you praying for? So the worship team's gonna come back up. Here's what I want you to process. You remember how we talked about early on with the shield of faith? You know, part of the problem with the shield of faith is that we use it only for ourselves, right? Like we, we, we have the shield of faith and we use the shield of faith and it's protecting us against all of the arrows and all of the, the flaming arrows that are going on. Well, you know, sometimes in prayer, it's only about you too, right? Like when you're fervent in prayer, and I'm not saying this is for everybody, but a lot of times when you're fervent in prayer, it's either where it's affecting you like this, like it's affecting you personally, right? Where it's something that's right in front of you or it's you and it's like you're, you're focused on it. Why? Because it's affecting you. Like you might be praying for somebody else, but the reason you're praying for somebody else is because it's affecting, right? And that's not always the case, but that could be part of it. So here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to think about. So part of this connection with God is getting in line with the heart of God and getting in line with the thing that God wants for our lives, right? So praying to him is to, to line our will and our hearts up with his, right? His will and his heart, when we watched him walk on this earth, was always about other people, Right? When he went to the Father, he prayed to the Father, why? To get wisdom to go serve other people. You see, I wonder this today. 
If I could just take a peek into your prayer journal or if your prayer journal's in your mind or whatever you write it down on, whoever you're praying for, who would be on your list? What would be on your list? Because see, this is what I think that we've lost inside of the world. The audacity to ask, seek, and knock for the lost people of this world with shameless audacity to go to the person who can change the heart. We're too busy making signs telling them they're going to hell instead of propositioning the one that can keep them out. Right? Like, we should be thinking on your list should be specific names of people who don't yet know Jesus and every day, shamelessly, with audacity, you should be going to the throne room saying, God, save them from hell. And I just wonder, how many people are on your list? I think we've lost it. The focus, specific. Because remember, you can put it out there broad, God save lost people, but there's nothing as powerful as saying, I'm praying for you. I remember the day when the littles came in to Life Church and said, you know who we need to pray for? Thaddeus Little. I watched it. And again, ask, seek, and knock that Thaddeus Little knows Jesus Christ. Now he knows Jesus on fire, changing the life of people. Why? Because people interceded. Because people prayed, right? That's what God does. And I think about this. We think about where our kids are today and we complain about the generation of young people and all the things they're doing and all the things that are happening. Are you asking, seeking, knocking for your daughter, for your son? Are you on your knees saying, God, intervene where only you can intervene. Do what only you can do because you're the only one that's going to change the heart of young people. Stop telling them what they are and go to the one who can make them who they are. Right? Go to that place. Ask, seek, knock fervently for your marriage, for your husband, for your wife. It's okay. Have conversations of what they're not. But at the end of the day, go to the one that can make them the man of God. Get on your knees fervently asking, seeking, and knocking for the one who will change them. That's what he calls us to do. And he ends it with this. This is what he says. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. You know what else he says? You better pray for your leaders. Because this is what scripture says very clearly. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will fall. Too many times, spend lots of time criticizing leadership when you should be praying for it. Because it's where Satan knows, like if he can get to the leader, it's going to fall. If he can get to the leader, things are going to go away. So we have an opportunity, great opportunity, to take communion together today. Inside of taking communion, this is what he tells us to do. You take a time and reflect. 
Take an opportunity to look at your heart. Take an opportunity to let God evaluate. Where are you in your prayer life? Are you sitting in the seat with the armor on, knowing no idea where the battle is because you've lost communication with the one who knows where the battle is? If it is, ask him to reunite it. Bring it back. Get to that place where he can use you. If you need somebody to be the shield of your life today, may God send those people. If you need to be that shield to people, be it. Whatever those things are, get in the game. Let that be revealed. And when we take communion together, also a reminder, body of Christ broken for each one of you, blood of Christ shed for each one of us so that we can, here's the key, live in victory. We're in a war, but the victory's been won. And we can celebrate that together as a church. So as we take communion together, there'll be an opportunity for reflection. Then Corinne will open up the communion tables uh, and we can take communion together. Then we'll end with worship together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that we can come together. Lord, build our connection back up. Let us be with shameless audacity. Prayer warriors on your behalf, seeking, knocking, asking over and over again. May we be fervent in that. And Lord, may we be a people who run the race without fear, with an understanding of what you want us to do. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.